Well, this is Easter. It is the preeminent celebration in the life of the church. This is the center of our life as a worshiping community. It is the, the, the major holiday of the Christian year. It is even a greater holiday than Christmas. And the reason for that is that Easter is the celebration of resurrection. And resurrection is something we could all use right now. Resurrection is what I think the world needs now because of the coronavirus. Now, I know things could be worse. Things could be a lot worse, and it hasn't been that long since people were telling us they would be worse. And we can be grateful for everybody whose work has kept them from being as bad as they might be. And we know it's early days yet. The, uh, as Dr. Burks tells us in those press conferences, a model is just a model. We have to actually wait to see before we know how bad things will be. But we can be grateful for the fact that this disease is not going to be any worse than it is because of the work of the frontline medical people and because of the people whose, whose uh, lives uh, are, are in, in ordinary work, people who do the ordinary work that um, we talked about last week, the people who stock shelves in grocery stores and, and run the checkout counter, people who, who do fast food um, uh, curbside delivery. Uh, we, we can be thankful for people who are making it possible for us to get through this. But at the same time, there is so much for us to grieve. There is so much loss and sadness associated with the coronavirus epidemic. First of all are the, the, the deaths of the people themselves. Now, we were told at one point that there would be two million people dying, or there could be as many as two million people dying. Today they're telling us it's only going to be 60,000 people, but if you know one of them, then that is a tragedy, whether it's one of 60,000 or one of 2 million. So there are the people themselves who have been affected by the disease. Now, I feel fortunate. I don't know anyone personally who's been affected by the disease yet, but I know people who do, and you may well yourself. With over half a, with almost half a million people infected and 18,000 people who have passed on from the disease, uh, it's, it's pretty likely that you know someone who knows someone who's affected. So we can grieve those people. But even if we're in that fortunate group who can't grieve a particular friend or neighbor or loved one, we have things to grieve for. And we understand they are smaller things to grieve than people who are mourning a loved one. We understand that. But pain doesn't come with an absolute scale. We understand it's a minor thing compared to being hooked up to a ventilator. But what isn't minor compared to being hooked up to a ventilator? Just because you're not going to die doesn't mean that you can be happy about losing your job or seeing the business that you built from the ground up crumble and die right before your eyes. I saw in the newspaper that one in seven restaurants in Alaska will close because of this uh, this catastrophe, this disaster that is the coronavirus epidemic. One in seven. If we multiply that out across the whole country, that's 140,000 businesses closing due to the coronavirus and all of the employees that they take with them. And that's just one segment. There's 28 million small businesses in this country. 
My wife and I were, were planning a cruise this summer. And cruise companies are big companies, but they're certainly going to be affected. But think of the small businesses, uh, the, the, the tourist traps that you go to. What's, what's this coronavirus going to do to Alaska's tourism economy? It's going to be terrible for a lot of people. And what about students? My daughter, like a lot of college students, is home early. Her semester is still going on, but it's totally different than she had expected. And she was telling me about someone she knows who is a first generation in her family to graduate from college. Somebody who has never, uh, no one in her family has ever walked in a graduation, and she was planning to be that first person. And now she may not because the graduation is canceled, and it's not clear if there will be a graduation ceremony for her class in the future. There are 20 million college students in this country and 50 million K-12 students. Take that one small tragedy, and it is a tragedy even if it's small, and multiply it by all those people. There is so much for us to grieve because of this coronavirus pandemic. You know, they're saying, well, I still have my health. And we do, most of us. But when do they tell us that? They tell us that when we've lost everything else. And so, yes, if we still have our health, we can be grateful for that. But there is so much that we have lost nevertheless. And I think because of this, the story of Easter is more pertinent to us today than at any time in my memory. Because we are in the same position as those first people who went out to the tomb. Matthew tells us that that uh, a couple of women went out to the tomb. The reason for that is because uh, the whole group didn't. There there wasn't a, a party standing around the tomb waiting. You know, three, two, one. Okay, cue the lights, and here comes Jesus. That was not the reality on that first Easter morning. Nobody came to the tomb um, except a few women. Uh, his, his, the, the bulk of his disciples didn't come. Why didn't they come? They didn't come because what would be the point in going to see the tomb of a dead man? Now, they, they had hoped things of Jesus. Some of them were patriots. They had hoped that Jesus would be the one who led a rebellion that freed their country from the Roman Empire. But their hopes for that rebellion were crushed when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus took the same fate, was dealt the same fate as every other would-be revolutionary that Rome dealt with unmercifully. Others, we know, among his disciples were not as patriotic, or or at least they, they had mixed motives. Some of them were opportunists who were hoping for jobs in Jesus' administration. But whether they were patriots or opportunists, their hopes were crushed And now the best thing they could hope for was that Rome wouldn't figure out that they were part of Jesus' group. Because if they did, if Rome suspected that they were part of a group of revolutionaries, they could end up with a cross of their own. So what would be the point in attracting attention? Why would you go out to see the tomb of a dead man? A man who had been crucified as a revolutionary. Why would you do that? No, no, a much better idea would be to lay low, wait till things cool off, and then sneak out of Jerusalem back to Galilee. So that's 
where the men were. But Matthew tells us there were a couple of women who came out to the tomb. So we read, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Now, Matthew assumed we would know who the other Mary was. That he said, everybody knows this story, you know, we've all heard the story over and over again, I just thought I'd write it down. Matthew assumes we know who the other Mary is, but we don't. There's a couple of candidates and there's different theories about her, but we don't know what her story is. But we do know something about Mary Magdalene. We know that Mary Magdalene was part of the company of disciples that traveled with Jesus from place to place. Luke tells us that in his biography of Jesus. And he adds one little detail that's helpful to us here. Because he says, Mary Magdalene was the one from whom seven demons had come out. Now, we're modern people. We have trouble accepting demons at face value. And so some people say, well, what Luke probably meant was she had uh, a very bad case of epilepsy or that she had psychiatric disorders. Some people say, no, well, Luke, Luke knew what a demon was, and I'm just going to accept that even though I may not personally have any experience with him. So they, they said, no, it's a real demon. But whichever it is, whichever it is, imagine the anxiety that Mary has as she goes out to the tomb because Jesus had freed her from whatever that demon was, those demons were. And now with Jesus gone, would the demons come back? Imagine her anxiety, her fear, when she went out to the tomb. Now, we know the story, right? For us, this is easy. We've heard the story of Easter. We've heard it for 2,000 years. We know the details. We may be a little fuzzy where the, where the bunny rabbit comes in, but, but we know the story of Easter, more or less. But they didn't. They didn't get the memo because the memo had not been written yet. They went out to the tomb, the few of them who did, the same reason that the owner of a restaurant looks at the chairs up on the tables. They went out for the same reason that a college graduate looks at the cap and gown that she's ordered. Not because she thought that it would spring back to life and she'd have a graduation. Not because she thought that the business would suddenly be bustling with people, but because they were heartbroken. And these women went out to the tomb for the same reason. And that's when things got good. We read in this chapter 28 of Matthew's biography of Jesus, he says, Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. And it says, The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. Stop and think about that for a moment. They shook with fear and became like dead men. I don't know any dead men who shake with fear. So they must have shaken so much that they got into some kind of a catatonic trance. And the angel doesn't seem very concerned with him. He says instead to the women, Now you don't have to be afraid perfectly good for them to be afraid. But he says, you don't have to be afraid. I know why you're here. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He's been raised from the dead, just like he said he would. Here, look look at the tomb. Look at the place where they had laid him. He's gone. He's been raised. So here's what you should do. Now, hurry, go and tell his disciples, he's been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. Then Matthew says, With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb. 
with great fear and excitement. I love that. It's, it's a picture of, of going from the depths of despair to the heights of hope in 0.8 seconds. It's just this roller coaster. In fact, that's what I think of. I picture being on the roller coaster, maybe a little nauseated. It, it's, it's so exciting that it's like I didn't think I could move this quickly from, from despair to hope. And they are experiencing this with great fear and excitement. They hurry from the tomb. And just like a roller coaster, just when you think it's it's about done, they get another thrill because Jesus appears to them. Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came and grabbed his feet and they worshipped him. They wanted to, to hear from Jesus. They wanted to, how are you here? How How is it that you could be raised? But Jesus urges them to go on and, and share this good news with the other disciples. He says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I'm going into Galilee. They will see me there. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. Isn't that amazing? You know, if you're familiar with the story of, of Jesus and his disciples, they are not great disciples. And in fact, as of two night, as of a night ago, uh, the, as of Thursday night, they are really ex-disciples. They abandoned him and some of them denied him. But Jesus doesn't say, go and tell my ex-disciples. He doesn't say, go and tell those dirty so-and-sos that I'm going to get even with them. No, Jesus doesn't even say, go and tell my poor students. He says, go and tell my brothers that I'm going into Galilee and they will see me there. Matthew goes on to tell us about that. If we just read down a few verses, he'll tell us about that appearance that Jesus has to his disciples in Galilee. But we know from some of the other biographies of Jesus that that uh, Jesus popped up from here to uh, different places and times um, in Jerusalem before the ga- before the disciples went back home to Galilee. So we know that that occurs. It is almost as if Jesus himself is so excited he can't he can't resist the opportunity to tell people the good news. It's like why should the angel get all the fun? I'm going to tell them too. And this is why Easter is good news. See, Christianity never tells us that this world will be pain-free or problem-free. Jesus says the very opposite. He says, when we build our lives on his word, then we're like the man who built his house on a rock. And when the storms came, it stood. Not if storms come, but when they came. Jesus said that in this world we will have trouble, but the resurrection reminds us that he has overcome all the pain in the world. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There'll be loss. There'll be coronavirus. And there'll be economic catastrophe. But Christianity teaches that however bad these things are, they are not the end of the story. That beyond them is a bright hope for tomorrow. Christianity teaches us that we may not get our job back. We may not be able to keep our business open. Our 401k may take a huge hit, and we may never walk in graduation. But that's not the end of the story. What Christianity teaches us is that God is in the resurrection business, and that bringing dead things to life is his specialty. This is why Easter is good news. But there's one more bit of good news. And that is that Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And he promised us that he would be with us through thick and thin, through coronavirus and economic disaster, 
whatever comes, Jesus would be with us. He would be with us through the preaching of his story, through the work of the church and the world and the fellowship of believers. Jesus said that he would be with us through his Holy Spirit, working in us and giving us light to get through the dark times. Jesus said that he would never forsake us or abandon us. And we believe that nothing in no power in heaven or on earth can separate us from the love of God, not even death, much less coronavirus or economic catastrophe. Easter is about resurrection. And however bad Friday looks, Sunday will come. Thanks be to God. Amen.